we're going to be looking at first. It's hard to shift from such a sobering situation. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 9th chapter this morning. Uh, it's in your bulletin, and if you have your Bibles, you're encouraged to open to that. Verses 23 through 27. Now you've heard it said, especially in what I describe and you know as moral victories. You know when your team doesn't win, but you've played well. The old adage always comes in, right? That it's not whether you win or lose, but it's how you played the game. That winning isn't everything. And it's true, it is how you play the game. It's whether you've tried your best. And one of the best persons to talk about sports competition is uh, Frank Reich, who used to be the quarterback at the, uh, with the uh, Bills. I sat down with lunch with him, and he has this awesome understanding of competitive sports. But, but when it comes to your soul, when it comes to your life meaning and ca- counting for, and your life counting for something according to how and who God is and has designed it, not only is it important how you play, but according to this passage, whether you truly win. This passage from 1 Corinthians 9th chapter is a letter from the Apostle Paul who is defending his ministry, explaining what he is doing as the Apostle, setting his authority structure, and in doing so he is hoping to lead more of his listeners into the freedom and redemption found in Christ. For him and them, winning was and is everything. Paul instructs them from his own life example through an extended athletic illustration which calls us as well to run as in a race, to live life to win, to train in this life to win, to run and race, to live and experience life with the convictions and drive of someone who themselves have been won. Let us look at 1 Corinthians 9, chapter verses 23 through 27. This is the word of God. I do all this, and in in this meaning he gives his life over to the gospel, allows it to change him and, and work in him. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of God. I remember at our home church in Charleston, we had worship service each New Year's Eve. We call it watch night service. And you would have, you would celebrate and sing and, and, and pray into the new year. And part of that service was dedicated to testimonies. People would get up and tell stories from the past year, pointing to how they believed the Lord had intervened and worked. And then they would often do a resolution of sorts. Like this year, I'm committed to go to church or or spend more time with my family or give more of my money. 
You know, they would tell you some sort of good church stuff that would make people say amen and, and make them feel faithful at the moment. Well, eventually, the pastor of the church put an end to the resolution part of the testimony. He explained that he didn't want to tempt people into lying to themselves and to others and make promises to their lives and the lives of others and to, and to God and to a God that would that would eventually not only make them look like faithless liars and or condemned fools, but in a twisted way, make God come across as faithless himself and sort of setting people up to fail that God let and left them to look like losers not just in new year's resolutions but in much of many of our lives we have lied to ourselves to the relationships around us to God even and are potentially racing ahead with self-made and self-propelled plans and motivations and goals that may possibly lead to the failure of a life lived and run like one who may have dreamed or hoped too big or dreamed or hoped too wrong or dreamed and hoped too fallen. Maybe you and I need a different kind of race. Maybe we're running this life race in the wrong way for our benefit and for the benefit of those that Paul would win to the faith. We are encouraged by this scripture to run life's race for a guaranteed prize, for a guaranteed victory. Look with me at verse 24 again. Do you know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, Paul initially seems to be saying that we should run with the chance because someone may finish ahead of us that we may not get the prize of the gospel that God has to offer if we don't work hard not to be left behind by some other runners. All run, he says, but one gets the prize. But if we look at verse 27, it says this, no, I beat my body and make it a slave, make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We see that the race Paul is talking about, for, race for the prize, it is not just for one person over and against another, but one that is guaranteed for those that run it. Paul says, I preach to others and others. He wants others to get the prize too. Guaranteed for all who finish it. What is Paul saying? Run as assured by running that you will get the prize. Unlike the the Greek games or the Olympic games or any kind of games where you can lose due to competition, run in a way that you are guaranteed that it will not be in vain. That you will be sure to get the prize. What Paul is declaring is that we run to win the prize as if the prize is not just for one that gets there first or better or best or stronger or more perfectly, but that there is a prize for those who engage life with the gospel in light of Christ's mission and desire for their soul and their world. That you can win. I hate using that language, but but that you can win. That just by entering and finishing, you will stand in the winner's circle. Not just one person or one nation or one team, 
but a prize, a crown for all that enter and finish the race. What Paul is saying is that the gospel-driven and run life is not about superlatives, but about being confident in the prize, confident of something beyond your performance. Running because and like you are assured of a prize. Now, this is revolutionary thinking then and now. For we live in a competitive and cynical world. Cynical about moral victories. You know how many cultures were fired in Division I football? We don't care about, he graduates all the players. We don't care about that stuff. Cynical about clapping for the kid who finishes last in the race. We do it, yeah, but we're kind of thinking, what? He finished last. You know, sometimes his parents are the only ones clapping, and then we feel sad, so we join in. We live in a world where a game where every kid gets a bat. I went to this baseball game, and every kid gets a bat, and the score is coincidental. It can only, though, be about literally. There is no way Major League Baseball will allow every kid to get a bat. But the prize is not worth as much if we aren't beating someone. Well, what Paul does is he offers a relief and rest and redemption to the way we run and live this life. You know, we are always running from or against or in competition with or in fear of. We often run the type of life race where we may be determined below the fact that you did all you know to do to do right, but that when you finish or not finish, you may possibly be deemed a life loser in your eyes and the eyes of others? You see, this life we live is often devoid of assurance. It's devoid of a prize guarantee. So we are often in a competition in our lives. What am I talking about? Competing against yourself or the standards you set for yourselves or by others. Maybe you're running in competition, trying to get what your parents always had for you to be and do. Or maybe you went to this certain college or institution that you graduated from, and you must do this level of thing, or or maybe the friends you aspire to be like are the thing you're racing for. You know, the acceptance in this or that, the expectancy in your life. You know, you're the smart one. You know, you're the overachiever. You're expected to be successful. Maybe there's some timeline that must be met in our ministries or we've asked God for something and we expect him to do it for us and others now. And that will be the prize. That is what we're running toward. All with goals and prizes that are not guaranteed. A life in which you can finish last if you aren't fast enough or smart enough or good enough or good as, or smart as, or beautiful, or whatever. Life, a life marathon with no guarantee of winning or feeling like a winner, like a success. The scripture is telling us that there is a new way of running, a new goal for life, a new way of measuring and monitoring success and fulfillment, one that won't leave us empty-handed and empty-hearted at the end. But that's only half of it for not only is the scripture here calling us to live life with a guarantee of a prize, but to actually win a prize that has a guarantee. Look with me at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, 
but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. In the Greek games, the winner was awarded two things. Well, let's say three. One, you got this wreath that went around your head made out of some sort of garland. And, and two, you would get the acclaim of the crowd. Yeah, you know, woohoo, he did it. And, and then three, you would get the title of being the champion. Now, Paul's illustration focuses more on the first prize, that the prize itself, this garland will wilt, it will die, it will not last. And it's symbolic of the rest, that the crowd's acclaim will die, that the title will be taken, there will be somebody faster than you, that they will cheer the next champion on, that someone will come along stronger and younger and more gifted and more talented. But Paul says that in pursuit of Christ, in Christ's pursuit of you, in care of him and his life, in his life and the life of those that are Jesus, that the prize is eternal. That it makes sense and translates beyond the confines and vanity and fickleness of this world. What this means is that that prize that we have and goal that we have in our mind, that like verse 25 says that we are so strict about getting or accomplishing in our doing of things, that that thing that monitors, monitors and drives us to pain and sacrifice outside of Christ, outside of redemption, outside of Jesus, outside of his ultimate prize and blessings in this life, that it will wilt. It will actually shame us. It will shake. It will fall apart. It will be replaced. It may even be forgotten or sold or lost. Could you imagine that all you do and finally get, once you have done it, will not fulfill? That will only put you back in the race again? It will only disappoint again and again to finally get married To finally get the dream job. To finally get accepted by this person or get into this school. To finally get to that financial level. To finally get to that dream vacation. To finally get your marriage to the place, hey, y'all can talk and you're best friends and you're ready to tell everybody else how to live this life. To finally get the business going the way you want it to. Finally sell those paintings or get your music off off the ground to finally have some children. I don't know about you, but do you know how many finalies I've had in my short life to only discover that it's not enough and that there's more that that it's, it's like a bag of potato chips. You know, you pay good 99 cents for this big, they call it the big grab, you know, bag of potato chips. And you open it up and it's like mostly air. I will share with you that as a pastor, since the first year in seminary, man, I always wanted to be a church planter, to start a church, something new, to understand how this fits in, but does it fit rightly? That, you know, I want to do good things, preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus, you know, all, you know, help the community, you know, that, that church planters do good things. But in my mind, the goal and, and offering and being loved by Jesus, the Jesus that I offer was simply the road to get the real goal, which was just to be a successful church planter. I went to a church planting conference and one guy said, church planters are the fighter pilots of the denomination. I could see myself, you know, like Maverick. Gosh. 
getting called to do the conferences and talk. Paul says, I do it for a prize that's eternal, not one that wealth. If that was my goal, it would never be enough. It'll never be finished. There's always the next thing. You know, I still, I'm a church planner. That's what I, here I am. I still get depressed. I still get stressed. I'm still not always happy. Does that sound familiar? Here's the rub, the, the gospel. The goals of Christ for you and your world must be the prize. Not that it includes all the finalities of your life, all the goals that are yours and in your world, things that you've inherited or been encouraged to be or do, the job you have right now, all of that now carried and run with towards and submission to the goal to find your gospel destiny. And by extension, all the things you hold, it's like running the race with everything on you, running toward Christ for his glory, for the eternal benefit of all your life means. Not just for the fleeting finalies, but a lasting benefit, a real fulfillment, an eternal significance that your marriage and job and singleness and finances and artistry can have, can can all be crowned by the work of Christ in it and through it. But Paul says, just like any race, we must train to run it. We must train to win, which means we are called to some sort of athletic sacrifice. Look with me at verse 25 once again. It says here, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There are two different athletic illustrations going on here. First, of course, is running a race. The second is some sort of fighting, boxing or wrestling. Uh, and if we look at the two sports, and what Paul says in verse 25 is that there will be sacrifices made in the training. I think primarily in terms of, I'm not going to eat what I want to eat. I'm not going to go to bed when I feel like going to bed. I'm going to go to bed based on what my goal is as an athlete. That the training aspect is your life outside of the stadium. It's life at home. It's what you eat. It's how you spend your time. And strict training would apply that, that his life is sacrificed for the goal of the prize to win, to be in shape, to run it well. To his verse 27, not let his body take control. To not allow the urges of his body and mind rule him, but to let it be ruled by the prize and the goal of the training. What Paul is illustrating is this, that the gospel race, serving Christ, being served by Christ, running will cause, that that in this running, in that way will cause sacrifice to take place. That the gospel life, the life ruled and trained by the message of God's love to sinners, that God's life-changing love towards the undeserving will call their lives to come under its control, to, to aim, not aimlessly, but to aim our lives in a direction over and against the pull and draw of other things and other motivations. Paul is saying the things that your body and mind naturally crave 
must not rule and run and drive your life. It would be like the feeling, a craving for some donuts for a wrestler who has to keep his weight down. Or the desire to watch TV or hang out with friends instead of going for that one last run that night. But we're not talking about food, but more about the very pleasures of the heart. We love to know. We love to have. It's about allowing our life course to be driven and all to, we, 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 our life course is driven and fed by fear of failure. We feed on what others think. It's about feeding your life with the desire to be in control or to look like you are in control. And what Paul is saying is discipline means it's about no longer being fueled by revenge or anger or even some disappointment you've had. No longer of following the way that makes you happy or pleasured or satisfied. Making your body a slave means keeping personal ambition at bay for something else or someone else. And for some of us, it means no longer feeding and giving our hearts over to being righteous on our own. It means not giving our hearts over to being righteous in our own strong, self-determined, religious way. Some of us have created our own God to be free in our minds of what God may be saying. I'm talking about what we may even label here as our natural inclinations as people. Let me tell you, there are some things that I am seriously, naturally. I am naturally competitive. When I hear about other church planters, I think, man, what is our numbers again? And if our numbers aren't what theirs are, look what we're doing. It's a lot harder. Naturally competitive. Naturally love attention and acceptance. So I'm like, wow, am I up here hoping that I preach well so that they get the gospel? Or I just want to be liked. Naturally. I'm a show off in the cloud. Have always been naturally insecure, self-centered, and manipulative. Naturally. According to verse 27. I'm headed toward disqualification because these things drive me to possibly seek an alternative to the gospel to lead me to seek a different way to win. I think it's interesting how this new steroid thing has come out. People are using cream or clear and, and, and you know, they're hitting home runs. I, I'm not, I, I shouldn't say it because I don't know if he's admitted to using it yet, but imagine people hitting home runs. I mean, breaking the record. And they're using some substance that you can't detect, some steroid that, that you can't. I'm not going to say anything about Marion Jones because too many UNC fans in here. But, you know, she shouldn't be able to dunk a basketball at 5'9". But anyway, we're moving on to say that there's some, that, that, that we are on personal steroids that are undetectable. Our lives inside the arena are a lie to what is really driving us and what we're really eating at home. And here's the thing, what Paul is saying, you will be caught. Your your, your uh, invisible ambition, your wrong motivation, the thing you're really eating and driving on, that thing will be caught by God as an illegal substance. Whether self-righteousness or self-pleasure or self-centeredness, the stuff that makes you play church like a game, And coming out smelling like you're okay. The thing that makes you work hard to come off looking like you're okay and together and brilliant. And I'm just a free person. God's got the, he's 
got the equipment to detect the cream and the clear in your life. It will be found. Look with me at verse 26 again. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating in the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Paul leads us through another illustration within an illustration. The boxer trains with a partner. We call it a sparring partner to get better. Which means, see, Paul says he's not beating against the air. In other words, he's not shadow boxing. Getting ready to fight. He's not shadow wrestling. I'm just going to wrestle my pillow. Oh, I'm getting good. The, 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 which means he is hitting and beating against someone or something. Which means even if it's just a punching bag, you're kind of being hit and hitting. Which means he's allowing the sparring partner to twist him and turn him and bruise him. And the bag is, he may be taking the skin off his knuckles. He's taking some hits to the body. You see, when you spar, the sparring partner or the punching bag or the trainer will show your weaknesses. It will bruise the soft places. It'll show where you're slow. So if you're with your sparring partner and you duck and it's not quick enough, boom, your sparring partner is going to hit you right in the face. Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. Yeah, I duck quick enough. Because the guy who's the ear is, is boxing against me. He, he, see, your sparring partner will show where you are slow. He'll show where and how you fail to duck. He'll show where you miss the mark, miss the aim, where you are off in your technique. Paul says, I'm not leaving it up to, with, to fantasy to be good. I don't want to have a false sense of, of my heart being right for the race. But I need a beating. I need a suffering for a good cause to know where I may need help or improvement or strengthening. Paul says with the gospel, with the training that Christ gives in his message, the training I receive in my life from the Lord sometimes is like a beating. But the message of grace is like a sparring partner. Like a training aid, like a punching bag that impacts the force of my life, that shows my weaknesses and calls me to look for strength elsewhere. Some of us are in life, we're shadow boxing. You know, after a good Rocky movie or a good Bruce Lee, you get into, maybe that's just me. I guess I'm still a big kid. You get up, you're like, yes, I can take him. You know, I could get in a ring with Mike Tyson, just a couple of ducks. I'm like, I've never hit a bag. I've never sparred. And just because I'm earboxing, I think I can do it. Some of us, are, we do Taibo and think we're ready for the Kung Fu Championship. We have no true idea. And some of us just don't want to know where we are spiritually. We just want to pretend like we're okay, that our world is okay. Some, so, so we make up our own set of rules apart from the gospel. We build a world apart from God and his truth. We insulate our lives from being impacted with the truth of God's message to us. And know what we do? We stay away from people who are giving the gospel. We don't want to hear we're sinners. And Jesus said we don't want to be hit. We don't want our lives to be bruised for a good reason. We'd rather just... Shadow box. We make our own religion. We build up and upon what we see as our strengths. You know, I, I used to work out. And a lot. And I, I remember going to the gym. 
You know, you can always tell a guy who only works his upper body. I can't stand that. He's over on the thing and you can't really see him because he's laying down. And he, whoa, whoa, man, I just got 300 up, dude. And he gets up off the bench and his legs are just, just skinny. I mean, some of us are just wanting to work with our strengths because we don't want the gospel to expose our weaknesses. So we like to hear messages about get your finances straight or you get your time management straight or get your family time straight. And for some of us, it's the opposite way. We don't want to hear messages about finances or, or time management and family time. Or we're really morally conservative. Or like I said, some of us are free and some of us can even teach and know the Bible well or are gifted and talented and can plant churches and preach. And so we surround our lives and allow into our hearts people and messages that will highlight our strengths and not spar with our weaknesses that won't beat our bodies. This is what eclectic community is. Tell you, if, if you become a member of the body of Christ and the gospel is presented, you're gonna come in, in you're gonna come into a sparring partner that is like a brother and a sister to you. They're gonna say, you know what, man? That thought you've been having that's been running your life, that's crazy. It's crazy. You're over the edge. Let me tell you what I know you're doing in private, because I can tell. Oh, yeah, your wife, yeah, she's been talking to my wife. I know what's going on. We don't want that. But the sparring is for the prize. The prize is the gospel itself. It's Christ himself. The gospel is bruising. The gospel itself declares and grows in sparring with our heart, hitting back, poking at the softness, showing where we miss, where we hurt. It may even make a good day where you're the best person in the world go really bad. It says that you're not good enough. It says that you don't know enough. It reveals and seeks to reveal the dark places of your heart. It calls motivations that you've built your life on that are wrong. It says, look how shaky that is. Let me just push on it a little bit. And the clearest bruising and yet best training you can get ironically is the cross itself. To be told and illustrated in word and invisible signs like the Lord's Supper, that, that the bruises Christ took, <coughs> that the sacrifices he made was because you and I were so messed up and missed the mark. We don't like to look at that. And here's the hard truth for many of us. When we... we turn our heads and hearts away from viewing God's display of love for us because of what it means for our lives. It hurts, it bruises while it heals. Let me tell you this. If you were to spar with the message of grace, that we are sinners and God came and sent Jesus as a savior of sinners, if you allow that to continue to hit your life, one clear blow of that message has and will and continue to send you and me to places of weakness. To send us where we need to be on our knees, seeking and needing him to make our lives right because the cross, the message of the cross is you and I aren't ready. We were ill-equipped and we are headed for disqualification. So Christ took the beating for us that we couldn't take. And that beats us, ironically. Tell you about my church planting goal. We have goals like that, to be this, (coughs) excuse me, with the wrong motivation. We'll get bitter and angry with God. Others in our lives 
We're headed for disqualification unless our training and bruising is about the truth of the gospel. Hear what Paul is trying to get across to us. Paul, a preacher of the gospel, does not want to be disqualified by his lack of the message that he is giving himself. That the race he's running is fueled simply by what Jesus has done. That the race Paul is in, seated part by his desire to reach people with the gospel, is, is, is about his desire to reach people with the gospel, is about being a recipient of the gospel himself. Look with me at verse 23. It says, I don't, I do this all for the sake of the gospel. What? That I may share in its blessings. Verse 27, as I preach the gospel, I don't want to be disqualified for it. That he himself has been won. He's been won by the truth of the gospel. That the message of God's unconditional life and love in Christ has and is running its course through his veins. And to cut that off would lead him off course and would leave him empty. Now, what does this mean that Paul runs and we are called to run to be winners as we have been won by Christ? This is the gospel. That Jesus came, that he ran his course, that he was sacrificed for our shortcomings, that he was bruised for our lack of being in shape. That he came and he actually shared in the corruptible crown of death and disease and suffering that you and I could be one and gain the crown of eternal life. That the loss has been found. That the gospel message and power can make our lives mean something. That when Christ said it, it was finished. The crown of life, the consummation, the yes to our lives would be guaranteed at the finish line. I give you, and I hold on hopefully to no other message and means of winning today, but the prize itself. Being Christ, being the Lord's, being assured, and in that being changed and transformed according to being won by him. To seek and run for it and let it seek and run after you. That the gospel itself, let it be what we train on and eat on and allow it to break us. That it give us continual blows of God's love in Christ. That we may not find another way to redemption. No more cream, no more clear, but know and live by only one. Not disqualified by your failure or not being good enough or righteousness or smart enough, but qualified by Christ and Christ alone. Run for the prize, which is freely offered to you in Christ Jesus. Run because of the prize, the gospel message giving you blows and and victories over and over again. Paul says run as to win the prize. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you for the fact that the prize is the healing. That in the prize, that running toward the prize and because of the prize of Christ, our lives will find consummation and meaning and purpose. Help us, Lord. Oh, our hearts are fueled and and, and trained by all the wrong things. Feed us once again. Beat us 
once again, Lord, ironically, with your love, with your truth, with, with the truth of your body and blood and what that means. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.